Welcome to the Mesmerizing Marketing Podcast, where we take a deep dive into the latest marketing trends, tools, and tips, and provide you with the top resources you need to thrive and make your marketing mesmerizing. And now, here's your host, Dimple Dang. For the audience, like tell us a little bit, some personal information about you, because I think there's so much information that's out there on the web that people can Google. But let's talk about maybe when you were a child, were you always entrepreneurial? Like when did you get the streak to say, okay, I want to start my own companies? Yeah. When I was a child, when I was six or seven years old, my parent took me to, I was very agitated and very hard to manage as a child, very Ooh. rebel. And it took me to... I don't know how you call that in English, but it's basically a guy who looks into your eye, into the iris of your eye and based with a, like a microscope or something. Optometrist? No, it's iridologist, but okay. iridologue in French, that's iridologist, which it's basically there's they have the science of looking at your iris and reading what's in there. It's, yeah, it's, it's not regular medicine. Let's call it this way. <laughs> It's esoteric some, somehow. And th that guy looked in my eye and said, this young boy will never work for another person. <laughs> and I okay. was like seven or eight. So you could say that it's rooted back in my DNA and in, in my childhood. When I, was in my, when I was in my 12 to like 17, 18, I was a Boy Scout and it was a Marine Boy Scout. So we were sailing as Boy Scouts. And when I got, to eight, when I got 18 and up, I became Boy Scout chief. So I was leading the younger Boy Scouts. And at the time where everybody else in my school were going partying on Saturday night and getting drunk and coming home with girls, I was heading my Boy Scout people. So I, and I was like putting projects together, organizing camps in, whole, in the Netherlands, in the South of France with all the boats and thing, the car behind the boat. So I basically was already doing some creating projects and always taking challenges on. So yeah, it's, I think... Some people have entrepreneurship in them. They may or may not realize it. I did not really realize what it was because I studied law and started my career as a lawyer. But even as a lawyer, I was always like, okay, how do I create my own firm? How do I create my own practice? How do I own my own thing? So it's always been there. And I love yeah, that. so I, I studied law seven years, passed the bar in Paris, started my career at the French embassy as a lawyer helping French businesses to be settled down in the US, start a subsidiary and start doing business there and found a first job at a big Chicago law firm called Winston and Strawn. I'm their... from Chicago. That's yeah. my hometown. Yeah. So yeah. Winston and Strawn is, I think it's the largest firm in Chicago as far it as is. I remember. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Started to work in their DC office, then moved to their Paris office and did that until 2000 and then had the entrepreneurship itch came back and I decided to start my first company with my co-founder who's been my co-founder for the past 23 years, Ben, who's been my CTO since then. And yeah, that's how I got started on the entrepreneurship route. So I'm, um, I love that. I yeah, love that. I, so it sounds like you were, you had like all the characteristics there because most entrepreneurs are kind of rebels. Like they don't conform to the rules. They're actually the ones that make the rules. I feel like you were the one that's like, let me create something. Let me do this. Let me lead. And they're also like leaders, right? Because you mm. were leading the the Boy Scouts while other people are out just mm. partying and doing those things. So 
I think that what you're doing today is perfect for that. Let's go back into when you were a lawyer, right? And talk a little bit more about that. Mm. I know that you were telling me earlier that when you were a lawyer back in the 90s too, you came up with a business concept to actually um, certain things you're doing in, in, yeah. in terms of like blogs. So can you tell us yeah. more about that? Because lawyers are always like curious on how they can do marketing better, how yeah. they can grow their firm, how they can yeah. use their skills. Uh, absolutely. So uh, the, to, to give you a little bit of context to understand it, when you're a lawyer in France, you are allowed and you work for a big law firm, you are allowed to have your own customers, you have your own clients. You, that's the rule. That's the basic rule. You're not an employee. You're kind of an independent mm. contractor to the firm you're working for, even the, even large law firms. Not everybody, but most lawyers uh, operate this way. So when I got back from DC and I had I learned this knowledge at, at the at when I, at my job at the embassy, I, I knew how to do visa for people who want to go and live in in, in the U.S. And you know, I randomly stumbled upon French entrepreneurs and, and business owners who wanted to move to the U.S. and start their business there. And I knew how to get their visa. So I started to do a couple of visas for them. And, and it was a very lucrative work for me because on top of my 10000 a month regular salary I was getting from the firm, I was also adding on top of that 2000 4000 And I was basically charging in the early days 2000 a visa. And then I moved up to, to, to 4000 a visa. And I, I got pretty successful because I was billing it on success. So I was it, it was zero if I didn't get the visa and it was 4K if I was getting the visa and people loved it. But I was kind of stuck with the volumes. Like I didn't have a lot of prospects coming in. And one day I was, I've always loved technology. So in, in the late 90s, I, I was among the first having an email, having my own website and building my own website with HTML, CSS, you've seen now it was ugly as hell, but... <laughs> I, at one point, there was kind of a beginning of the blogs and you could actually create content and update your website with content on it. It was, it was probably the ancestor of WordPress, what I started using in the late 90s. And I created a website where I explained all the different types of visa and how what, all the forums, you could download all the forums. I, I give you the roadmap, okay, step one, you do this, step two, you do that, step three, step four. These are the things you need to be careful about. If you if you buy a business, this is the kind of business you want to buy, not that kind of business. And uh, you can put the money into escrow. Here's a list of escrow you can work with, blah, blah, blah. It was basically the recipe of how you get a visa to start a company in the US. And my colleagues at the firm, they looked at me like I was crazy. They said, why are you putting all your knowledge on the web? People are going to steal it and they're going to do it themselves and they're never going to pay you. I said, no, that's not how it works. People don't want to do that. Business owners have other things to do than creating, doing their own visa. They don't have time for that. They run a business. They make money with their business. It makes no sense for them to learn that new skill. The only thing they want to know and make sure about is that I know what I'm talking about. And when they see all that information I put online, they're like, oh, this guy knows how to get a visa. I'm going to contract him and pay him and he's going to get my visa. And that, that thing became incredibly successful. I think after the first year, I made as much money with my own customer. I worked a lot on weekends, by the way, because you still have to work eight hours a day for your firm, sometimes 10 yeah. hours a day. Yeah. Because firms like Winston and Strong, they don't let you do. Oh, yeah. That's like, a, that's like a <laughs> very 15, easily. That's like a 15 hour day no, at a firm like, like that. Yeah, I know I how that lot. goes. I worked a hell of a lot. But at the end, after the first year, I was on, on top of the 10K I was making from the big law firm, I was making some, sometimes seven, six, seven K a month on, on the visa stuff that was doing just basically taking my weekends. And when you think about it and you think about modern marketing in 2023, it is still the same base. Provide amazing content for free. 
So people are like, oh, this guy's interesting or this company is interesting or whatever. And based on that, you're going to start creating a flywheel of prospect. We're going to come to you because they recognize you as the expert who can solve their problem. So by creating amazing content, you can position yourself as a thought leader in your space. So don't you're, what you're saying is don't gatekeep your best content, actually no. share it out with the world. Because yeah. a lot of people think, oh my God, if I share it, other people are going to steal my ideas, they're going to take mm. it. So they have like the wrong mindset. Mm. So what you're saying is like when you have great content, share and share it freely. Like you shared yep. all of that content about the visas very graciously yep. and you didn't hold anything back. But as a return, you got rewarded because people viewed you and your website as mm. a thought leader, but they didn't want to do it themselves. What they know that you were savvy enough to do it for them. So it actually ended up getting you a lot of clients. So that was brilliant. I love that yeah. story. Yeah. And what I, I didn't do any of that back then because there, were, there was no, the concept of lead gen didn't exist. The concept of CTA and form and download downloadables and all that stuff. But if I had to do it again, I would have still provided the content for free, but I would have made the forums or the templates downloadables. Hey, leave me your email and take the form or take the template and that way I would have generated leads and that kind of stuff. So, but it's, it's still exactly the same thing. Marketing has not evolved that much in the past 23 years. Yeah, exactly. So if you were to give three tips to, let's say, even like for lawyers, because you have been in the legal industry, you practice law and all that, what would be three tips that you would give out for lawyers in terms of marketing in 2024? Because 2024 is around the corner. Yeah. Well, I, I think the basics, that basic is still the same. So first and foremost, think really hard about what you're passionate about in the field of law. What is it that you're really passionate about? Because what what's going to allow you to create great marketing and to be a great marketer on top of a great lawyer is that people are going to feel the passion and you're going to be so passionate about the topic that you're going to want to write about it. You're going to want to start a podcast about it. You're going to want to do videos about it. You're going to want to be spreading the news. about. Oh, I, there's this thing from the Supreme Court. That's amazing. Look at the consequences for other people have to feel that you absolutely live and breathe your stuff. So think about what passionate you. If you're not passionate about law, you're not going to be a good marketer about law, right? So think about that. Once you have your passion and you've nailed it, and this is the thing. So for example, if you do M&A, you can't just do M&A. You have to do a specific subset of M&A, like fintech M&A or tech M&A or medical, whatever it is, insurance M&A. So pick a niche. Don't go broad. Pick something very niche So you're going to speak very closely to the ones who are very connected to that niche. And a niche always have specificities and it, it's going to help you adapt your content to people who are going to react in like, oh, this is exactly for me because I'm a tech, I'm a tech CEO and this tech M&A is, is, is speaking to my, is music to my ears. And, and once you've done that, then find the media you are most comfortable with. Some people are fine and on camera. Some people are shy and they don't want to be seen and they, they, whatever, like it's very personal, but pick the one that you enjoy the most being on the camera. Do you enjoy talking? Then maybe a podcast is best. Do you enjoy writing? My co-founder loves writing and reading. I'm not a writing and reading type of guy. So if that's what it is, do a medium, start a medium blog or that kind. So identify what you enjoy creating, whether it's video or sound or audio or writing. And then once you've picked that, start the practice like once a week, come up with a topic, come up with something that you feel is exciting and interesting and create the content and then start sharing it. It's going to be small in the early days, but 
it, if you do it consistently and you always think about how can you promote it, to whom can you send it, eventually it will grow to something meaningful. Now, the promotion part obviously is key. So be, be strategic about that. How are you going to make sure that this is being seen? When I did my stuff in the late 90s, SEO was easy. I was probably the only person in the entire French-speaking countries who created content about Visa, so Visa, US Visa. So I was, if you search for US Visa Etats-Unis in French, boom, that was me. <laughs> Today, nice. probably wouldn't happen. But you know what? I'm pretty sure there are still opportunities, even in SEO, for a French-speaking lawyer to create content about French-speaking business owners who want to go to the US. I'm pretty sure it is still possible today. Yeah, absolutely. SEO is huge. I mean, especially for lawyers. I mean, that's how you're going to get found online, but also social media is equally huge. So, I mean, thank you for sharing your perspective on all of that. And before we dive deep into Agora Pulse, my question is, why is even like social media important for lawyers, for business owners, for entrepreneurs? Like, why should they really invest their time into producing content, posting it every day. What's like the biggest advantages that you see of doing that? And maybe even of not doing that, because there's people that don't do it or if they do it, they're not consistent with it. Mm -hmm. And I believe that part of building a personal brand, doing social media is that you have to be consistent. So what are mm -hmm. the biggest advantages you see of doing it? And then also for people that aren't doing it, what would you say to them? Yeah. So back to the promotion piece, it all starts with the content. If you don't have any content to share, having a presence on social media is a waste of time. What are you going to share? We had for breakfast or for dinner. Like Nobody's going to be interested about your social media if you don't have amazing content to share. So it starts with the content. So everything we, I, we, we've said earlier is, is valid and leads you to, okay, now you have the passion. Now you have the niche. Now you have the content. How, where are you going to share that? How are you going to make people aware that it exists and they can check it out? That's where social media is, is probably in 2024, one of the main channel that you need to leverage and you need to, you need to seize. Web and SEO is one, but as web and SEO, social media takes time. If you start writing content, SEO is going to catch up. It may take a year and a half, two years before you start having enough of, of SEO presence to start getting prospect in. Same for social media. It's the exact same thing. There's no shortcut whatever you choose as your main channel to distribute the, the amazing content you're creating, it's going to take time. But if, it, if the content is amazing, there is no doubt people will come to it. If the content is amazing and you constantly post on LinkedIn, for example, whether it's video, whether it's text, people are going to start noticing and little by little, your followers are going to grow and people are going to uh, engage with it. And thank you for that, for sharing valuable content that's helping them and little by little, it's going gonna, it's gonna to grow. What you can do to help it grow, there are a lot of tactics about the hashtags you can use and, and engaging with other people in your space who then engage back and get to know you. So you can do engagement. You can use those kind of tricks. You can do listening, trying to listen to questions on Twitter about your stuff. Like let's say you're an M&A lawyer in tech M&A. Is there anybody talking about tech M&A on Twitter? run a tech m a listening search on Twitter to see if there's anybody asking, hey, do you know a tech m a blah, blah, blah. And then you can go in and say, yeah, I know someone. Here's a, I wrote a blog post exactly about that two years ago. Here's the link. You can read about it. Maybe it's helpful. So you can have you can do a little bit of that, an hour here, an hour there. And, it, and eventually, your notoriety online on social media is going to grow month after month. 
and up until you get to a point where, oh, you wake up one morning and you have thousands of people reading your stuff every morning. And then you're like, okay, now I'm a, now I'm a star in my space on social. And if you do that, you, you always end up there. I, I have a, at least four or five friends who have above 1 million followers on YouTube now, which is an achievement. This, they all started at zero. Mm-hmm. Like 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 me today. I'm not yeah. the YouTube guy, so I'm not big there. But there there were there was one day when they said, "Okay, I'm I'm totally in non-existent on that social media platform. I want to be present there, and I want to have a big following there. Start with the content, then go with the distribution and do it consistently, and use all these tricks to get the world to notice. And one day you wake up and you build an audience, and here you are. Let's be honest here; it is hard." Mm-hmm. It is not for everyone. Not every lawyer is going to be a YouTube star next year, right? We we know that. But if you are passionate about that and you want to grow and you want to be a top-notch lawyer in your space, that's how you do it. Yeah. I mean, and you know what? It happens, right? But it doesn't happen overnight. So, mm-hmm. but what we see outside looking in, when we see someone, they have a million followers on TikTok, on YouTube, or they have a huge following on LinkedIn. We don't see all the work and effort that was put into it, but the person who's done it has. And sometimes that could have taken them five years, one year, three years, 10 years. We don't see that part. And then I think one of the issues is that when people start doing something in terms of marketing, whether it's SEO, whether it's having a podcast, whether it is writing blog content mm-hmm. or doing reels on like TikTok, YouTube shorts, all those things. I think people give up too easy because with social media, I think people look at it the wrong way. I think they think, oh, I can just post up for a month and I'm going to get all these leads and clients coming in. And you and I both know that's not the reality of it, right? Mm-hmm. With social media marketing, if you just start today, it can realistically take a year or two before you get leads coming in. However, Mm -hmm. I think the main thing is having that online presence is so critical because when someone is deciding whether they want to work with, let's say that attorney or that business versus someone else, they are going to look them up online. They're going to look at their social media channels. They're going to Mm -hmm. look at their website. They're going to look at if they've been, you know, mentioned in the press or anything, and they're going to compare and contrast And I think that having a social media presence or having a podcast or having a YouTube channel, I think it gives you instant credibility. Mm. And that credibility can be the difference between losing a referral or gaining a new client. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. If I was an MNA lawyer still today, you know what I would do? What? I would start a podcast and a blog. I would basically do blog, podcast, and YouTube, the three of them. Um, I would do the video interview, and then that video interview would become the podcast, the video, and YouTube, of course, but also the podcast because you have the audio. And I would have a transcript become the Medium blog post. And I would interview tech uh, CEOs who sold their companies. And I would interview them on, okay, let's talk about the legal side of things. What went wrong? What was complicated? What didn't you understand before that you now understand that was like an aha moment for you? And, oh, that's why I need a lawyer. That, what are the things that the, the other side tried to negotiate and stick into the contract that you refused and you, it was the right thing to do because those things are very risky and dangerous for you? Let's talk the legal aspect of the deal and not the money and the, and the big PR and all that stuff. Nope, I don't 
know of anybody doing that. And I'm a tech CEO now and that doesn't ring a bell. So the day I need, if I have my lawyer, good for me, but if I don't have my lawyer, who am I going to turn to? I'm going to turn to the one who is interviewing all these tech CEOs who are being acquired, right? And you don't have to be their lawyer, by the way. You can just reach out to them. Hey, I heard you just sold your company. I would like to interview you on the legal aspect of your stuff. I would. That's exactly what I would do if I was an M&A lawyer today and I wanted to be known for the tech M&A lawyer. That's the example. I love that. That's a great example. And it's a strategy. I think everything when it comes to marketing and social media, you have to have a strategy. A lot of people start doing social media, but they don't sit down first to formulate a strategy that's going to help them obtain their business goals. And they just start like haphazardly, right? So I think you have to have a strategy and that's really important. So let's dive into, let's start talking a little bit about Agora Pulse. Like what inspired you to start this company and what was the problem in the marketplace that you were trying to solve when you first started the company? Yeah, well, so when we first started in 2000, it was another company that, that got went busted since then. And for 10 years, we failed at trying to be successful at that first company. So the 2000, 2010, end of 2010, the company was named Affinities and basically the idea behind it, it was a piece of software online in the cloud that allowed you to create your own social network. So think about this. In, 2000, in 2001, we released a software that allows you to create your own social network. Facebook started in 2004. <laughs> so being too early on the market is not a good thing when you're an entrepreneur. So that we pivoted that to a B2B white label technology and then kind of an agent, build an agency on top of that. So it was really hard. And during all these years, I almost didn't pay myself. I was minimum wage for four years in a row. So it was really tough, especially when you You've been paid really well by by an American law firm in Paris. And in 2011, we randomly stumbled upon someone who wanted to do contests and promotions on Facebook. And we started building contests and promotions on Facebook for that business and then another business and then another one. And then we basically started to become an agency that was running Facebook apps. And we saw a company that had done that, but in, in a SaaS way, in a way that it was a platform that you, you would go, you subscribe for 99 a month, and you could create all the apps you want and start them on your Facebook page. So that's how Agorapulse got started, as a platform that allows you to build Facebook contests and promotion on your Facebook page in, that was launched in 2011. Today, this part of the product does not even exist anymore. We, we, you don't run contests and promotion on, on Agorapulse because we quickly realized that the business was very bad. It was high churn business. The customer would come, do a contest and two, stay two months and then leave. And, and the money was churning constantly. So we said, okay, that doesn't work. This is not going to build the business we want to build. So we pivoted that to a social media, which is okay. We only have Facebook. We need to add Twitter and then Instagram and then LinkedIn and then this and then that. And we only do contest and promotion. We need to do message management and publishing and measurement and reporting. So between 2012 and 2016, we spent four years adding features and to move from, we only do contest and promotion to, oh, we do the whole social media management 360 feature set. And in 2016, I think we were okay. And in 2019, we had a solid product and now we have a very solid product. Like it's one of the best on the market. And what's what, so if, if people know over social media management software, they probably heard about Hootsuite or Sprout Social. Those are our main competition basically. And when you look at us versus them, there's one thing that's us versus them that I'm very proud about. They both raised $270 million. We've raised zero. 
So our company is, is completely bootstrapped. We're 170 people across the world. We make $24 million of annual revenue and we have never raised money. So that's something I'm proud about. Wow. So with, with the customer we work with, we're, we're basically more like them. Most of the customers we work with I have, haven't raised $200 million. <laughs> they build their business out of sweat equity, right? So that's one thing. But really, the thing I'm very proud about is that we build an ROI engine, return on investment engine that allows us to tell you where conversion and revenue is coming from on social media. So if you do social media, if you do a lot of activities on social media, but you're not really sure which one is working, which one is not, we're going to give you a, a detailed understanding on what your private message are doing well, your comments are doing well. So it, your, your Twitter is doing well, your LinkedIn is doing well. So we, we can really give you a hint on what's working and what's not at the conversion level, at the business result, business impact level. So that's the thing that separates us from the competition. Otherwise, we do the publishing and the engagement and the listening and the measuring, the everything, at least as well as the others. On some stuff, they're a little bit better on this, we're a little, better, a little bit better on that. We all do publishing, we all do monitoring, we all do listening, we all do reporting our own way. Some people prefer ours, some people prefer someone else's. That's competition, that's life. Right. But at, the, at the core, what separates us and what makes us a little bit different is this measuring ROI and business impact aspect. Well, I think measuring ROI is so important because you need to know if your marketing is working or not. And if you're taking the time to post, let's say, on LinkedIn and the content on LinkedIn, might be different than what you post on, let's say, Instagram and, and Facebook and so forth. So I think it's really key to have the data because if something's working better, then that you can invest more time and effort into, say, LinkedIn. And mm. that's more where your target audience is because each platform's different and different platforms also have a different target audience where for some businesses, LinkedIn may be where their target audience hangs out. For others, mm. it might be Instagram. Brothers, it might be TikTok or Facebook. Yeah. And having that data, I think, is so instrumental in the success of everything. And then when you say like it kind of tracks ROI, is it basically giving analytics of like, okay, this is your, these type of posts got the most amount of engagement? How does it actually know what turns into like sales though, or does it? Yeah, it, it does. If, if, in order to measure that, it, it, it does if you have a, a, a link redirecting to an, to an asset, to a marketing asset you have on your site, that's a downloadable, that's whatever, that's a free trial that for, for us. For me, that's a free trial. So we measure how many free trials we get or how many downloads we get or how many webinar registration we get or event registration. So it, you, you have to have something to measure. Obviously, there's nothing to measure. If you're saying, say, hello, good morning, and that's where you, your post ends. There's nothing to measure behind it. But as soon as you say, hey, we're releasing this event on like we're having an event in December about Pinterest marketing because we're releasing a new Pinterest integration. So we have Pinterest as a keynote speaker, like it's a great event. It's a, a virtual event. And so we're promoting that event, but that event is just value for them. It's free. It's really, it's, if you're interested about how can I make Pinterest work for my business? and you're an agency, it's also for agencies, then that event is perfect. So when we promote that event, obviously there's a link to register to that event and that link, what we do, and uh, by, by the way, I, I patented this. So I filed a patent with the USPTO to patent the, how we do it. But we automatically turn that random link that you're including, that you're including in your post that's leading to your event, for example, where 
we're UTMizing it automatically. So we turn that link, that's a normal link, to a link that's entirely tracked and that's minified. And when we then we connect with GA4, with Google Analytics, and we repatriate through their API everything that happened after that link was clicked, and we connect the dots between the post, the link, and what happened after the link. So we're able to tell you, oh, that post that you, James, posted on LinkedIn at 9 p.m. last Tuesday, it got five registrations to our event. Congrats, James. Thank you so much for helping us. And we're adding this to our employee advocacy feature. So if you have all the all the people in your firm promoting that event and they're spreading that on their own LinkedIn, we're going to track all of that as well. So we're going to be able to say, oh, all the employees, among all the employees, these are the ones who help us share the news of that event. Based on those, we got that many visitors on our website. And based on those visitors, we have that many registered to our event. And at the end of the day, you're able to attribute business impact to what your team is doing on social media with you. So that's, yeah, that's how we do it. And I'm super passionate about that because I'm passionate about knowing what's working. And I feel like social media has been put in the bucket of the, the must do, but don't want to do it kind of stuff by many businesses. Ah, oh, we have to do social media because like we have to have a website of the mm -hmm. early 20, 2000s, right? <laughs> And I really want to change that. I want to say, yes, we have to do social media because now we know it can work and we know we can measure it. So we can have a strategy because it's really hard to have a strategy, a marketing strategy when you have no idea what's working. Exactly. I love that. I think that's an amazing thing that you guys can track that because you have to know what's working. That's definitely key. Now, let's talk a little bit about, I would love to get your thoughts on AI because AI is big. Things mm -hmm. like ChatGPT, OpenAI integrations. How are you incorporating AI into Agora Pulse? And what are your personal thoughts on AI and where it's, where it's heading? Because it's growing at a very fast pace right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely the question of the month. <laughs> the question of the, of the year, of the decade, probably. My co-founder recently told me that we always overestimate the impact of a technology when it just got out but we underestimate it in the long term. So in the short term, we overestimate what it can do, but in the long term, we underestimate the deep impact it's going to have. Look at the impact of the web in 20, 20 years, 25 years later. Look at the impact on, of mobile 10 years after mobile became really ubiquitous. Impact of social. Like there, there are a lot of shifts in our world had that we overestimated when we thir they first got out, but we totally under we had no idea what they would disrupt in the long run. So I am humble and I think I have no clue of about the level of disruption AI is going to have on everything 20, 20 years from today. But I think that today people's expectations are too high and the technology is not ready yet to meet those expectations. Anyhow, what I see in the next, I don't know, two to three years, it's hard to see further than that, is that AI is going to disrupt some industries and some businesses. Businesses that are providing a service that you can actually go to ChatGPT and ask something and they're going to give it to you and it's almost the same, those businesses are going to suffer. The best example of that is Stack Overflow. So Stack Overflow is a place where you can go and ask questions about pieces of codes and stuff like that. ChatGPT can build a piece of code for you now. So people don't go to Stack Overflow anymore and they go to ChatGPT and, hey, you write me a JavaScript piece, piece of JavaScript that does X, Y, and Z, and boom, and here it is, and you have it. 
So you see the the traffic on Stack Overflow, I think, have gone down by like fifty or sixty percent in in just six months. It's crazy how disrupted this business is by AI. So that's one example of those who yeah. are going to be disrupted. And then for many others, AI is going to be an add-on, a companion, like a, a, a vitamin, if I may say, that you're going to add a layer here and there. And we're, I think we are one of those. So for example, AI can help you improve the, the content you create. So you type in something and say, make it shorter, funnier, longer, formal, more of this, more of that. So that we have already, we've integrated that on the content. I think very soon we're, AI is going to propose content based on past content that you've posted that was successful, got a lot of engagement, lots of clicks, content from your competition. Like, look at this guy and this guy and that guy and propose content that looks like them or look at their best content in the past form. So AI is going to be doing all of that. So proposing, suggesting, keeping you in control because at the end of the day, you have to stay in control about your voice, right? You have to... I don't believe for a minute about you putting a bot, turning it on and moving on to something else and coming back to your social presence four months later just to realize that your bot has been praising Nazis or anything silly. That, oh my God, what happened on yeah. my social profile? So you have to stay in control and you have it's, it has to be your voice. Yeah, the AI I'll... is going to give you so much more inspiration and curation and that's going to help you be a lot more efficient. That's for sure. It's going to improve efficiency for sure. So when you reply to people like, oh, you could reply this, like suggesting a reply, that's already kind of happening in many support tools and it's going to get better and better. So you're going to be faster, more efficient and and just keep your own voice, but telling tell it better basically. So that's what AI is going to do in, our, in my industry for sure. And it's going to find insights into your analytics. It's going to do great to extra. It's basically going to look at a lot of data and tell you, out of this massive amount of data, this and that is what you need to know. And that's what AI is going to do. So making sense of a lot of the things that today we're, we don't have time to check and audit, basically. So that's how I see AI in our industry. But beyond that, I have to admit that I don't know. It's quite exciting. Being an entrepreneur, I'm more excited than afraid. I'm more looking forward to it than, yeah. than <laughs> being scared by it. Yeah. But it's so you're, cool. you're embracing AI. And I yeah. think that's what I always tell people. Like, you can't ignore it anymore because it is here to stay. And it is not, it's not a trend. It's not a mm. fad. It's here to stay. And it's moving so fast that if you don't start embracing it now, this is like what I do. Like, I'm a marketing and AI strategist, but mm. my head's spinning every time there's something new that comes out and it's changing so quickly. But people that are more old school and they're resistant to it, I'm going to say they need to start paying attention because it is here to stay. And every platform I look at for social media management, even website design, mm. they all have incorporated some element of AI built yeah. in. And that's why I was asking you as well, because I was going to, I already knew the answer is going to be probably yes. I just wanted to know what exactly it is. Mm. And with AI, like you have to put in your own human intelligence into it. That's what I say. But really you have to, you can't just like, yeah, turn it on and then that's it. But you really have to put in your own intelligence because what you put in the input is really essentially the output that you're going to get if it's going to be good content mm. or bad content. So I think it mm. makes a big difference in, in how you prompt AI and how you even like now with ChatGPT, you can set up your own custom GPTs and custom AI agents and bots. So I've actually yeah. set one up for myself. I set one up for lawyers. I'm setting up a couple of other ones. And you can program it to literally write content in the tone that you want, the style that you want. The It's going to know your brand voice. It's going to know all those things. 
And this is something that it's like, it's here already, right? So as the future evolves, right? What are, or is there anything that maybe it's top secret, you can't disclose it, but is there anything new and exciting besides maybe, or you can elaborate on the Pinterest one of any integrations or any new features that you're adding into Agora Pulse in the next 12 months or so? Oh, we're adding a ton of stuff in the next 12 months, but really the one I'm the most excited about is the advocacy we call, we used to call it the ambassador. It's still in beta right now, but it's going to be, I think they decided on, they settled down on advocacy. So it's going to be advocacy feature. It's basically when you're a small medium business and your social media presence is not that great, like it's okay, but it's not that great. It is hard. And again, remember, my passion is attributing success to social media. It is hard to create success out of organic social media on your own. It's really hard. And that's something we, we discovered and realized as we were helping our, our customers with our social media ROI feature. If you cannot do it alone, ask for help and ask, create an influencer program or work with influencers or and call, you can call them influencers or ambassadors. So find people who are excited about your business and your company and who are okay to be your voice in, in the outside on social. Work with your employees if they are okay with that. And don't be alone trying to be successful on social. Do it as a team. And that feature is allowing businesses to do that. And as a business, I can tell you that I am excited to use it. Like, let me give you one very simple, basic example. We share job openings for our, our for all the jobs that we have, we offer right now. And there are jobs that are pretty hard to fill. Web developers are one of them. Product managers or, or product designers also quite hard to recruit. When you have a bunch of web developers and product managers and product designers in your team and you encourage them to, hey, here's a job opening. Can you share it on LinkedIn? Can you help us spread the word? And so, so first you get colleagues that you enjoy because they're part of your network and they're your friends and you know them. So can you help us do that? And if they do that and you can know who did it and you can know how many applications you got from who in the team and you can celebrate that and you can go on the all hands meeting on Wednesday and say, guys, this is amazing. Jenna, she shared her the job opening on LinkedIn and we got three applicants who are this guy and that guy and we are actually in the final process. Jenna, thank you so much for helping. How do you think she's going to feel? She's going to feel amazing and you're going to feel amazing and everybody's going to like, oh my God, that's amazing. That's great. I love that story. I love that we can be a part of the success and have an impact. And stories like that cannot exist with you in a vacuum trying to promote your own business on your own it, it has to be based on you leveraging the teams a team of employees or a team of, of external ambassadors so that feature for me is exciting because i can see how i can use it i can see how i can make it part of our plan to succeed on social and not do it on your not our own thank you for sharing that i love that i love that so a few more questions about agora Pulse. in terms of who it's ideal for? Is it more ideal for specific types of businesses or like meaning, like, is it better for solopreneurs, small to mid-size? Like who's the target audience? That yeah, we're not, we're not targeting solopreneurs. I'm not going to lie. We used to, that's how we got started. But today the solopreneurs can find enough in the free native meta platform and, or they go natively on LinkedIn. So like, Solopreneurs are very careful about how they spend their money. And when you tell them, oh, this is $49 a month, oh, that's expensive. Well, $49 a month is not expensive. This is nothing. For me, it is absolutely nothing. But for them, it is. So there's a mismatch between 
the value we provide and, and how they value that value. And, and for them, that's not good enough because the level of complexity they have to deal with is not that great. So they don't need so much of a complex tool to deal with their own problems. So we're more like SMBs of 50 plus employees, I would say something like that, and mid-market businesses. So if you think about if you think about a law firm, like we discussed earlier, if you're a solo lawyer on your own, you probably don't need a tool. You probably want to do it on your own. And, and, and before you even consider a tool, build a presence, build a content, get some level of success, and then you'll understand what, how a tool can use you. But don't start with a tool. It probably doesn't make sense. If you're a 50 people law firm with someone in charge of marketing and it's, it is something really you've already invested in and you want to make, you want to keep investing and it it's working, but you, but it's a bit messy and chaotic, then a tool is probably a good idea. So I'd say the four agencies, we usually say it's 10 people plus, so more than 10 people in the agency. And for businesses, it's probably about 50 people, but you know, it depends if you're super, super active on social. Maybe a 30-people company can see value in using a tool like ours, and you have uh, a lot of profiles and a lot of people involved in the social media work. But I'd say if you're small, you're probably better off going native and using the native tools and figuring it out without learning a tool or spending money on a tool. And yeah, we are, our self-service plans start at 49 a month. Oh, yeah, 49 a month when you pay annually or 69 a month if you don't. So they're still very affordable. But... What I've noticed is the smaller they are, the more immature they are in how they market on social, the less value they see in the tools so that they tend not to buy it or not to stay. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that makes sense. And mm -hmm. the thing is, there are so many platforms out there already. I mean, they can use Buffer for free, things like that. Yeah. But it's more so like Agora Pulse is tailored towards companies that really need analytics. They want to know data, right? They want to know yeah. like what's working, what's not, so they can do more of that. And they're really doing things on a larger scale. So yeah. that makes that makes perfect sense. And then what about in terms of Agora Pulse? How did you and your co-founder grow the company throughout the years? Because one of the hardest things about having a company and when you start out, it, it doesn't always work. Like you said, the other company you had, it, it failed, right? But part of entrepreneurship is not giving up and trying things differently. So what are some things that you've experienced along the way and maybe some tips you can provide to other people that are on their entrepreneurial journey on success. Yeah, we, we could make an entire podcast interview just on that <laughs> alone and spend a day on it. It's a loaded question. There's a lot there's a lot there for sure. If I summarize to the key pillars of what you have to keep in mind when you start a business. The first thing that's really important, so you mentioned not giving up is important, but not being stubborn is important as well. So not obsessing about not giving up on something that doesn't work is you should give up at some point. Like uh, knowing when to give up is also a skill, is also important. So I would say don't give up too fast, but make sure that if you're not giving up, what you're creating is going up and to the right in some way, shape or form. So if what you're doing is going up and to the right in a way, like, it, yeah, the business is increasing. It's only $500 a month more, but it is $500 a month more. And my goal now next quarter is to do $1,000 a month more than $2,000, $5,000. You have to go up and to the right. You have to feel that you have to get that feeling of progress. If it is progressing, then it's probably worth not giving up and keep working on it. So that would be the first thing. 
but do give up if there's no progress. If there's no progress and you don't pay yourself and you're miserable and it's been a year, it's probably worth giving up now and not hurting yourself, obsessing about it. That would be the first thing. The second thing, which is kind of linked to the first thing is be ready to adapt quickly. Be ready to change. Be okay to change. Our, when I look at the first business pivoted three times in 10 years. So we did, they were entirely different three times. And Agorapulse pivoted probably twice. So the product we have today has absolutely nothing to do with the product we had in 2012. Nothing. It's completely different. And the business who succeed are the one who adapt the best and the fastest. So be always on the lookout. So what do I need? What do I need to change? And if the change is small, that's fine. If the change is big, that's fine too. If, if you have to make big, fat changes, like go ahead and do them. That's the second thing. The third thing is find a way to learn fast. Like you have to learn fast. When you start a business, nothing. It's as, as if when you exit law school and you start working for a law firm, <laughs> I remember me, <laughs> nothing. You're absolutely, you're clueless. And then you go to, you take, you have your first job and then you learn, oh my God, like at such a speed, like the amount of stuff you learn by doing the work is tremendous. Building a business is the same thing. And day one of building a business, you have no clue what you're doing. And you, you have to find, you have to find all the ways you can to learn this by doing and by surrounding yourself with mentors and peers and people who are, who have done it and are a little bit ahead of you. And so read books. Get people who are a little bit ahead of you and invite them to lunch once a month and ask them questions. I have this problem. What do you think? Be part of clubs or network groups that are locals to you so you can see them and meet with them on a regular basis. So be ready to learn fast because you have to be aware that you know nothing and you don't know how to build a business and you don't, have no, you don't know how to grow that business and you will have to figure it out on the go. So I keep telling, I mentor a bunch of entrepreneurs who are tech SaaS entrepreneurs. And the one thing I keep telling them is like, you are not the right person to take your business to the next level. You're not yet that person. Now it has to be your commitment to become that person. So what are you doing to become that person? What's your plan? And every entrepreneur should be asking themselves that question. I am not the right, we are 23, 24 millions now. I am not the right person to take this business to hundred millions. I know that. What am I doing? To become that person you're becoming that you're going to do yeah. what it takes to become that person you're going to adapt and continue to learn yeah. and be willing to pivot yeah i think those are such great tips and advice for our entrepreneurs and i appreciate that so thank you for sharing that and is there anything else about agora pulse that i didn't ask that you'd like to share no not really i mean we we are Despite us being based in France, we are a truly international company. We have half of the companies outside of France. We have 30 people in the US, almost 20 people in Canada now. We have people in Mexico, in Argentina, in Ireland, in the UK, like all over the place. And it's an amazing team. So if you ever get in touch with our salespeople or support people asking them questions, you'll see how caring they are and how helpful and kind and smart. You can only know that for sure once you've had interactions with the team. But if you, if any of the listeners ever have a chance to talk to any of my team members, they'll probably feel that deep level of care and expertise and willing to help. So that's something I'm very proud and happy about. When you build a business, I think the, the top of the pleasure as a business owner and an entrepreneur is to 
wake up in the morning and start interacting with your team and feel like, I love that person. That's amazing. This conversation we just had was so fulfilling and constructive and helpful. And when you feel that day in and day out, you're in the best. You're, that's happiness. That's what it is. People look for happiness. That's exactly what it is. It's the people you spend your days with. You absolutely love doing it with them because they are a plus in your life. Yeah, I love that because it, it always comes from the top down, right? And mm -hmm. if that's the culture that you are promoting, right, as the leaders of the organization, I think the employees see that because when you have a support staff that's rude or they're lazy or they're whatever, it, it's a reflection of like top down, like the management, mm -hmm. because they're not being trained properly or they're not being told like, hey, this is how we operate yeah. here. This yeah. is our culture. This is how you treat people. This is our mission statement, our values and what we stand for. Mm. And that should be instilled in every single employee globally. And that's like when you like, for example, you take the example of Sam Altman and the recent open AI development, yeah. or you've heard about all the madness. Yeah. It's like a literally like a tech soap opera. And what you'll notice is like his team and his staff, they literally have been so loyal to him that they all said they're going to walk out and quit if they don't reinstate him, right? And I actually just did a podcast episode on that two days ago. And because it tells you like that person is a great leader because he actually has the ability to influence people and to lead them to take action and that his team and his staff respects him. And I think when you are leading a big organization and a company as a founder, as a co-founder, as a COO, CEO, whatever it is, I think that it's really important that your team and your staff respect you because if they do, there's going to be more loyalty from them than yeah. if they don't. I think they're not really going to take pride in the work that they do, but it, it goes to show like if you treat your team with respect and all of those things, they're probably going to show it back to people. And so that's one piece of advice. Treat people the way you want to be treated. That's always a good rule. And, and by the way, sometimes sometimes that means that you expect a lot from people because I expect a lot from myself. And when my board comes to me and is like giving me challenges and giving me high goals and pushing me to go beyond my comfort zone, I'm it's discomfort. But at the same time, like, okay, that's their role. And I'm going to, I'm going to push for that. And I also do the same thing with my team. And, and I think they appreciate that when they're being pushed outside of their comfort zone because that's where they grow. So like you, you have to give them that too. It's not only being nice, but it's also being that person is going to push them to become the best version of themselves, which sometimes means that you have to push them a little bit. Yeah, I think people confuse nice and being a good leader. Mm. And being a good leader is not only being nice. Sometimes it's also pushing a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that. I love that pushing them because you're, you have to push them to do better and to want more and to set like a higher bar and yeah. higher standards for their work and for everything that they do. So I love that. So I'm sure you have one or two of these, but do you have a favorite quote that you like to live your life by or that has really inspired you throughout the years? <laughs> I don't really have a quote. Or a philosophy really... of how but... you live your life. Yeah, but the well, how I, how I live my life definitely is passion. Find the stuff that passionates you. If all of this and any job, by the way, if you're a top lawyer in a big firm, your job is hard as hell. Any job, creating a business, 
life is tough. It's hard. If if you're not passionate about doing it, <laughs> you give up because you're sane. You, know, you don't want to be hurt. You don't want to feel pain. So you, you're not going to do something that you don't absolutely enjoy doing. So having the passion for it and being genuinely happy about what you do is absolutely crucial. <laughs> Recently, I've been telling my marketing team a lot about We've been talking a lot about marketing attribution, and I had a lot of pushback of people who said, yeah, but you cannot measure everything. You cannot see everything. What you see is just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much happening in dark social and in people going to a mobile on Safari, and then they go to their desktop on, on Chrome, and then the tracking doesn't work this way, so you lose it, so you're never going to get the attribution right. So my, 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 list, my latest quote, and I was like, yeah, I understand that. Tracking is only giving you the tip of the iceberg. But you know what? There's no tip. There's no freaking iceberg. So <laughs> you'd better track something so at least you can see something and make decisions based on what you see. If you see nothing, there's probably nothing going on. So if you cannot see the tip of the iceberg of your marketing and, and the result you get, there's probably nothing there. It's probably not working. So it's that was, yeah, if there's no tip, there's no freaking iceberg. <laughs> I like that. Analogy. Yeah. <laughs> That's perfect. I, I love that. I love that. This has been amazing. So we will link, of course, Agora Pulse in the show notes, but tell the audience where and how they can connect with you or any other things that you wanted to promote, if you have any special promotions coming up or anything that you wanted to let everyone know about. Yeah, well, I, connecting with me, the best is LinkedIn because that's the social network I'm the most active on. I'm not so active in the others anymore. And uh, so you can find me at Emmerich Arnu, E-R-N-O-U-L-T-E-M-E-R-I-C on LinkedIn. And when you invite me, please add a note to the invitation. Say, hi, listen to your podcast on X. That way I know that's a legit invitation because I get like, I think 25 to 30 invitations a day. <laughs> and I go through them, but when I don't know them and there's no, I disregard because otherwise my LinkedIn is going to be a mess. And I, I'll happily... I accept the invitation. And if you have any ask for me, I'll, re I'll reply to every invitation that I haven't asked that's, that I can help with. So that's the way. And on, on promotions, like we have this, we have this Pinterest event. So it's for agencies only. So it's probably not going to be that interesting for most people. But if you're an agency and you're wondering how you can leverage Pinterest to do better business on social media, that's, that's that event coming up uh, mid-December. That may be interesting if the podcast gets released before. <laughs> I don't know. If actually, yeah, actually it will. So okay. I'm going to ask you to send me the link to that so I can actually put it in yeah. um, the show notes. Yeah. Yeah, I'll send it to you. Promise. Okay. All right. Well, this is a pleasure. Thank you so much for being on the show. It was a pleasure too. Well, I and thank you for working on Black Friday, which is which is a, a testament of your dedication to your work. So you probably have a passion for what you do as well. I do. And And have a great weekend. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Mesmerizing Marketing Podcast. If you found this episode valuable, please subscribe to the show so you don't ever miss an episode and also share it with your friends. Dimple would be so grateful if you could take a minute to leave a review and visit the podcast website to check out all the latest episodes at www.mesmerizingmarketingpodcast.com. That's www.mesmerizingmarketingpodcast.com. And follow Dimple on Clubhouse. Her handle is at marketing expert and also join her mesmerizing marketing club also on clubhouse for live rooms on top marketing strategies for entrepreneurs and business owners who want to mesmerize their marketing.